0: Welcome to She Knows, hosted by Brandon Burns, another show from Torched Productions. This is the show where we tell the stories of amazing women doing amazing things. We share stories of adversity, success, leading as a woman, overcoming challenges with gender, stereotypes, and role models for women all over the world. Tune in to walk away with at least one key insight every episode that will help you on your journey. Let's get down to the show. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and review us on all your favorite platforms and visit us at gettorched.com. Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of our amazing new show, She Knows. Now, today's episode is a special, inclusive, diverse episode. I'm super excited to have this guest on. We spent a lot of time together performing, uh, working across different projects. And of course, spending a lot of time at Crown Entertainment Complex, which is a real stable here in Australia. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit about our guest. then I'm going to introduce them to you, and we're going to get down to it. So they are a songwriter, entertainer, vocalist, MC, and TV presenter. They also head up Hank Lives Here Productions. They identify as gender non-binary. They are the lead singer of a band, Ladyhood. There's 49 and a half thousand Instagram followers. And this amazing guest has supported the likes of Aerosmith, Daryl Braithwaite. She's performed, uh, sorry, she they have performed at the F1 Grand Prix, the Melbourne Cup and the Sydney Mardi Gras. It's Brianie Dawson. How are you?
1: I almost got me, there. And I know, <laughs> I know. Even, even I stuff it up sometimes. I, I she myself all the time.
0: <laughs> now, our show, of course, you know, is called She Knows and, we 've gone to market, um, shining a light on amazing women doing amazing things, but I want you to maybe to take the opportunity, give me a bit of a lesson or, or a, a better understanding of how you identify and and this conversation that we need to have and um, yeah, just tell me all about it
1: um, well, I, I identify as gender non binary so i don 't sort of fit into the the female i guess or, or woman spectrum of gender and I don't fit into the the male spectrum of, of gender either. Um, I just sort of fit somewhere in the middle. Um, and it was sort of, it's sort of, I guess, a way I've been feeling, if I really think back, um, it's something that i felt for a really long time. I just never knew what it was. I didn't know how to process that feeling and, um, and, and they were really like, there were no role models for me growing up um, to be, you know, oh, well, maybe I feel this way. Or there's this great person. Hello, darling.
0: I've got, I've got the... my little daughter, Lucy, who just popped in to say a quick hello, hello,
1: Lucy. How Hi. are you? Hi. <laughs> you go see mummy, honey. You go
0: see mummy. Give me one second, Bridie. I'm so sorry. Yeah, this no worries. My... <laughs> Hey, Christy, I'm just um, I'm in the middle of recording. How fun was that? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, I'll chop this bit, but yeah. So, so yeah, keep, keep going for me. Tell me about sort of, um, you know, where you've ended up and your level of comfortability and sort of now yep. you've gotten to where you are.
1: Yep. Um, so, yeah, like growing up I always sort of felt different um, and I didn't really, I really didn't know how to process those feelings. I didn't know what they meant and there was just no, no role models. I didn't know it was a possibility to be not a woman, you know. Vagina owners are women. Uh, which is what everyone thinks, and it's it 's just it 's really um breaking down those uh feelings but then de- deconstructing the way that people and and society we 're told to think about gender um as opposed to like your sex um, which are two completely different things um it 's it 's man, it's fascinating the way people feel about gender and how important it is, especially especially to men and their gender and, and you know, what it means to be a man and those stereotypical things and, and just the language we use. And, the, like, I mean, you could talk for a whole bloody day about gender and, and, and how we're supposed to feel about it. And once you start unwrapping that and being like, oh, well, I don't feel that way about that, and you just have a, a human element about it uh, other than woman and man, um, it, it kind of eases the pressure a little bit as well. And it's, it's really hard language-wise to stop saying she, her, his, him. Um, but we do it all the time. We use they, them pronouns all the time. For If you don't know the gender of someone, you say they. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people... And for years, if you don't know the gender, you use male pronouns. The, the, the sound guy is always the sound guy. You know, you're this guy, you're that guy, you're both, you know. Um, the only thing that's typically a, a woman is a car, you know. And so it's, 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 it's a challenge to break down those, that, those language barriers and those perceptions of gender and what that means.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to learning so much on today's episode. I have to ask. We we do this with, with all of our guests, and I know your answer is going to be somewhat uh, skewed because we're, you're in lockdown. So maybe yeah. give me an idea of what does a typical day in the life of Bryony e. Dawson look like, pre and uh, during lockdown.
1: Yeah. Okay. So pre, it is just go go go. Like my um, I guess my my business and my profile as an entertainer has grown exponentially in the last couple of years. I've really put a lot of effort and drive and focus into it and I think I've built myself up to be one of the um, yeah, entertainers in Victoria mm-hmm. uh, at least, like, you know, in our local uh, sort of community of, of artists and, um, and so, yeah, it would just be go, go, go. I'd get up. I spent a lot of time, um, you know, hustling like you, Brando, hustling, getting the next uh, getting the next gig, making sure I've got that quick turnaround time from inquiry to, you know, the email back and your quote and that kind of stuff and qualifying your leads and all that. Um, and then the night times are, are mainly gigs, like um, any night of the week, Um and, yeah, just sort of prepping for those. And I love, love uh, looking at the, the fashion side of everything as well. So I love, love shopping, love seeing how I can sort of turn up to a gig in the best possible way. And uh, now during lockdown, all of that's out the window. I sleep in. I eat my wheat bix, I talk on a podcast, and uh, and that'll be the highlight of my bloody day, Brent.
0: <laughs> now, now I, I have to ask because this is really interesting, especially for a high performer like yourself. There's no doubt going to be things that you've implemented into your routine during lockdown that you weren't previously that have actually become a real real godsend or they've improved your efficiency or uh your effectiveness what would maybe one or two of those be
1: i think <laughs> my answer is going to be really boring um but it is like bookkeeping it's like the 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 back end of all of that stuff i i was one of those people who you know did like had five or six years of tax that i hadn't done and yeah, you know, hadn't you, you know? And um, and I've I've gotten a lot better at it. And I was like, how can I make this easier for myself? I'll do it at the end of every month, and then I will have like a snapshot of what my business looks like and where I can improve. <laughs> and it's been it's it's been really good. But God, it's been I'm just not um I'm not a sit still person um, but I am quite analytical. So it's mm. it's. I love the end product of seeing all of that stuff and areas that I can improve, but sitting down to fucking do it is just like, I hate it. I really, really hate it. Uh, So when when you reconcile those. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. When I downloaded QuickBooks to do it, I had to like. like I can't click through YouTube videos and stuff to watch that. So I just I booked someone on Airtasker and I had this guy <laughs> and, and he gave me a um a lesson um online and he was like, yeah, and if you if, you know this happens, I was like, that's not what my business does, don't put that information in my head. Like I just need to know how it works for my business, like the most <laughs> easiest thing. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, that's one thing that I'll take out of having the time to do that because I never, I never have, um, time outside of, um, yep. outside of lockdown. Yeah.
0: So I want to ask you because you are a business owner and you're mm-hmm. also a performer. So mm-hmm. I can kind of, I reckon I can relate to the energy And preparation that's required for the performance element and it's so cool to hear that uh you've developed a real knack for getting better at the the business side Mm -hmm. i want to understand from you how critical is it to contributing to you being able to continue to evolve and get better and better as a performer having feeling like you've got that business side under control
1: Yeah, it, it does. It does because it also gives me an opportunity to, and especially now because we've all struggled so much in this industry, it gives me an opportunity to get people more work as well and not just get me more work. Um, so that's, that's what I really like about it and it helps, it has really helped me build um, really great relationships with other performers um, and it's helped me build really great relationships with the people who book me as well, because, you know, um, entertainers are not the most, uh, reliable people in the world. Uh, and so having that, that was, that was one of my main things when I went and, and started this business was I was going to be the different one in, in the pack. And it was re- replying to the emails, having, having the knowledge and, and, um, just being so easy to work with that the next time something comes around, I'm going to be the go-to because I might I'm not going to be the the most talented person in each uh, you know in each one of those industries that I work in. I'm not the most talented singer, you know, very far from it. But I can get a booking over somebody who is. Far better than me because I'm so easy to work with. I and 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 with those booking companies or or corporates who don't work in events and they've got to suddenly put on an event and they're scrambling and they're stressed. If you can just be like you just glide on in and you're like, hey, here's everything you wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes a massive massive difference. And then they recommend you to other people. And and yeah, if I walk out of a gig without a recommendation or another
0: card, I know I haven't done my job. The, uh, excellent. So what's come to mind here, and I'm not sure if you identify with this title, but um, some people think it's a bit wanky, but entrepreneur or entrepreneurial. Yeah. So I have to ask you, um, because what you described there are a couple of concepts that appear to be passed on often by a mentor to someone or a role model. I'm yeah. keen to understand uh, when you had that turning point to really be that person you described, and who some of those role models and mentors were that uh, that gave that to you.
1: Um, it's hard to pick one. Um, there, I, I'll tell you what the biggest turning point for me was because uh, I was very, very unreliable in my twenties. Didn't work hard. I didn't not work hard, but I just. It, I just didn't know what I, I, what I wanted to do. So, you know, you're dealing with, you know, gender, sexuality, you know, all, all, all lots of stuff. Um, and I remember meeting, and you will know these people as well, Brandon, the, um, when I started working at Crown, and I met people who were at the height of their um, career, and I'm not saying that crown is the height of a career. But what I'm saying is those people, those dancers and those performers, they were all at the top of their game. They they were getting um, the gigs in musicals. They were getting on the TV, you know, the ex-Moulin Rouge dancers, ex Lido dancers, like all this kind of stuff. And I was like, these people have worked at the very top and they do work at the very top. Um, And I just sort of saw you know, that I was similar. Then. And I was like, well, I could probably work at the top as well. And then that sort of work ethic and and the belief that you can achieve the top um, really sort of helped me turn things around. Um, and and that's when I started singing. And that's when I started, you know, my business and, and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it was a massive, massive turning point. And then as you go, you meet more and more people and you know you get let down and you've got to pick yourself back up again and and you have really disappointing um results sometimes you know you go and you try and try something new and you're like well I'm going to do this and and it doesn't work out and or people don't want what you've got to sell and um you gotta you gotta be able to just dust that off and then go and try it again or change it a bit and try again and and um yeah, it's, it's, that, it's that sort of mindset and determination knowing what I could do but just being able to show people mm-hmm. um, it, any way that I can.
0: Mm. It sounds like you know what's on the other side of fear, which some yeah. may know is nothing. <laughs> but could you indulge us and the audience who are listening and watching uh, around one of these moments where you did give something a crack and uh, maybe it didn't come off, but because of you know what you've developed in yourself now, you were quite able to just dust it off and and learn from it.
1: Yeah, um, it was it was singing like uh, and and it was just covers. Like, I was never a singer growing up, but I had this moment sort of in my early 20s where I was, I was pretty depressed and I was struggling. And I, but I had this perfect job and I had the car, the house, the, you know, everything looked like it was great. And I was so unhappy. And then someone said, Well, what do you, well, like, what do you actually want to do? And I was like, Well, I, I really think about it. I want to be a, a singer. And they're like, no, 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 like, but, but like a like a real job, and I was like, no, that's what I'm gonna do. So the next day, I literally quit my job, I sold my house, um, and and went on a path of being a performer. And I sucked in the beginning, and I had like, auditions. Um, you know, at, at Crown, I wanted to sing at Crown because that's where all these great, amazing people were that I worked with and I could work my way up and I just wanted to get gigs and just sing. And, um, and you know, I was working at Crown as a stage manager as well and um, I got an audition um, and two of the entertainment people who were very good friends of mine came down to see me and this guitarist sing Um. And we didn't get the gig, like like we didn't get it. And I was like, wow. and that, and but then I, I felt bad for them. Imagine seeing how hard I'm working and then not giving me a gig. <laughs> and I was like, fuck. Wow. Um, and so I just had to keep going and keep working and, and um, there's another company that I work for, Song Division, who are just mm. one of the most amazing companies I've ever worked for and they, they were the first ones to really take um, a risk with me um, emceeing their events. And my first event was for um, McDonald's, so like a massive client um, and you had to be the best. Mm-hmm. and um and I was and I emceed and I sang and we did all this stuff and people were like oh my god that you were the best I've ever seen what how what why when. and I was like "Ah, oh, okay cool this like so yeah. finding my niche of what I have to offer is it's not really singing because I'm not the best singer in the world I get away with it but I'm not the best singer in the world but I'm—I consider myself an entertainer, um, and that's, and that's such a hard thing to sell when you're when you're emceeing and you sing and you—you know—you're kind of doing this sort of hybrid role and you're this and you're that. And why am I better than someone who mm-hmm. sings like Beyonce and can hit all these high notes and that and it's and that is hard to sell to someone. It's—it's mm-hmm. it's the vibe. And yeah, you're like, totally. you can't. That's not something that they can hold and be like, oh yeah, this looks really good. Well, yep. Um. So, yeah, it's 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 a difficult thing to sell, but I'm i getting there.
0: Yeah. Um, what comes to mind hearing that? Um, is I'm a big fan of Robbie Williams, and for yeah. example for example, I I rate him as probably one of the best entertainers. But underlying that also is a pretty solid and uh, talented ability at songwriting. Yeah. Now, you you head up lead vocals and, and you write um, for Ladyhood Music, which yeah. people should, should definitely check out. Um, and I think a little while back when we interacted at Crown, you may have recently returned from a songwriting um, trip to Nashville or maybe you'd spend some time. I think you did spend a lot of time abroad. Talk yeah. to me about your journey, then learning how to songwrite and apply that to your band and then bring it to life in a live environment.
1: Mm. It's um, Songwriting is probably my favourite, favourite part, Even I think even more than performing them live. I love the songwriting because um, I love the collaborative process. I love working with really really talented people I always make sure I'm the least talented in the room and so um you know being able to go overseas um and work in LA and Nashville um Vienna and, and just with these incredible artists who again are all at the top of their game and they raise you even higher um and they, they respect you and we're, like, we're working on these songs. Um, I wrote a couple in Nashville and then um, I wrote most of them um, in LA um, with, a, with a whole bunch of people, but just it made me a really, really good songwriter. And now it's comes so naturally when when we're trying to write a song and I do a lot of corporate songwriting experiences and that kind of stuff and just working through that stuff and just now being able to sit in that talent and know that that's what I'm good at. It's really, it's really, really nice.
0: I can remember you telling me, that you were lucky enough to see, I think, Cheryl Crow live in concert in Nashville. Yes. Yeah. What was that like?
1: Oh, it was it was off the chart. It was off the chart. She came. Uh, we went to see this other guitarist, and then she just got up and sang a couple of songs, and I was just like, oh my. God, uh, she's definitely one of my faves, Sheryl Crow. And, and that's the thing I love about LA and, and Nashville. I mean, those two places in particular, there's so much um, history there, you know, and I had a, like um, had an interview or, you know, had a coffee with uh, this lady, Judy Stakey, who is one of the, the a great songwriter and she worked with Sheryl Crow. Um, she was one of the ones who found Cheryl Crow and, and produced her and, and got her to where she is. And when I met her for a coffee, she was like, it's so weird that you've said to meet at this place. This, like, this exact table is where Cheryl Crow wrote Santa Monica Boulevard. <laughs> um, and, and she was like, that petrol station, the gas station over there, uh, it used to be a car wash. And she was wow. like, you know, this the whole, and I was, yeah. So, and I filmed one of my video clips in Charlie Chaplin's old um, apartment, and it, like that kind of history, mm. you just don't get over here. And so, there's just a vibe when you're in LA, and you're surrounding yourself with those people and those those places. It's just mm-hmm. like electric, and it really does bring out the best in you.
0: Yeah, Um, it definitely sounds like the immersion part uh, of that environment plays a part in lifting your performance. Um, It also sounds like, and I've heard this said before, that it's treated like a business, which it should be. Um, And someone like you no doubt has had that rub off because it appears you're applying so much of that in this smaller environment. Um, I want to ask you, when we do return to some form of normal, how can an artist in Australia better adapt themselves to be able to compete uh, and stand out at that level, knowing that they might not be able to enter that environment physically as quickly or as easily?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's really difficult. Um, I have worked with a, <clears throat> a few people over here and and there, there just isn't the um, the the talent and the belief in Australia that Americans have, they they believe that you can be the next huge fucking thing, you know, and then when you're in that writing session, that's what they're writing for. Um, whereas some sessions that I've been in over here, people don't believe in that. They're not writing for you to be the next big thing. They're kind of getting through the session a little bit and trying to make the song as good as they can. Um and so it's just it's it's a a little bit of a a, a weird um, a, a weirder environment. That's why I always go over and write <clears throat> in in the states. Um, I think I think the the best thing that people can do if you if you want to songwrite is to write with as many people as possible um and even if it's over zoom even like you know I've done so many songwriting sessions over zoom um to be able to to be able to end up with these great songs and people people think it's like oh but most of songwriting is actually you sitting there thinking about what you're going to write and getting it together and, and and that kind of stuff and so that's what you. That's that's easy to do over Zoom. You know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. And you have to make a couple of little changes here and there so that you can sing in time and a beat with a melody and that kind of stuff. But to just throw a melody through Zoom is pretty is is pretty easy to a to a producer. So yeah, mm-hmm. it, I get on the Zoom.
0: Get out. Get on the Zoom. I think it was one person telling me the other day that um, when we record over Zoom often you'll have to in post-production reverse uh, the vision back about five frames because I think yeah. human beings are used to getting the sound first, I think, and the visual can be late. But I think uh, yeah. Zoom prioritises the visual first, so audio is delayed. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's what's leading to a lot of people talking over each other and there no, you go, you go, you go. <laughs> But um, this is awesome. Now I just want to flick back to what we talked about at the very head of the episode. Um mm-hmm because I want our audience to be able to walk away with at least one insight from this topic. Now, through your journey, you've no doubt faced gender-specific challenges potentially. Maybe you've even witnessed others and you've kind of taken it upon yourself to get involved and help. I'd love mm-hmm. to hear about maybe one in particular um, that you've been able to get a really cool outcome from and you feel like you've made a positive impact to getting it there quicker for others.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it has, it has been really challenging, um, especially because I'm masculine presenting. Um, and so people, people often think I'm a man, um, which is not the case. Um, and there, for me, the biggest challenge is public toilets. Um, Ah, because we're, we're all a little bit vulnerable when we go into a public toilet we may not think about it consciously but we are We're like you know it's it's mm. yeah um and i use women's public toilets unless there is a gender neutral bathroom um definitely not using the men's they are they're hideous
0: <laughs> hang on this is a hot topic Dude. because you I- got, what are you
1: guys doing there it's like well, you just shit in your hands and you throw it everywhere. Is that, you're like monkeys. You're
0: we've we've now poop. just, we've now just got the bite
1: we were looking for to promote this episode. <laughs> oh yeah, it's uh, anyway. So yeah, I use I use the women's toilets and and um, yeah, I think there is a man. I would say ninety eight percent of the time they think there is a man in the toilets. And um, that is really confronting for me. Um, and there's a lot of times that men have followed me into the women's toilets as well, because they're just like, "Oh, I just followed that dude," and they don't bother looking at the <laughs> the signs. And so I, I have been absolutely berated in public toilets. It's it, like just I, 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 I cannot believe people would speak to someone in public like that. Um so yeah that's that's quite um quite challenging. Um and I'm happy to talk to people about not everyone is because it is it can be really, really draining, especially if you're still coming to terms with who you are and what your gender means to you and where you fit. And that can change. Gender, gender is fluid, you know one day you can be feeling a bit like this, the other day you can feeling like this. And, um, some people switch pronouns. Mm. Um, you know, they start off with they and them and then, you know, on another day they might be feeling a bit more she, her, and so they, you know, which is then challenging to navigate also. Um, the one thing that I would say to people, um, if, if we're talking just about pronouns and how to talk to someone is you can just ask, ask someone what their pronouns are and get into the habit of saying what your pronouns are because we don't want to be the only people saying what our fucking pronouns are, you know. Um, so putting your he, him on your um, Instagram handle or your email signature or something like that, Um can make a huge difference and shows it shows that you're an ally without you know wearing a fucking rainbow flag, you know, to your, your team meetings, you know what I mean? Um, and just being able to ask someone, um, when you get introduced, you know, you can be like, Hi, I'm Brandon, my pronouns are he, him. Do you mind if I ask what your pronouns are? Mm. Simple, yeah. Then yeah. when you hear them, use them. <laughs> um, I love it, and and, and everyone. Everyone stuffs it up, you know, everyone like I, she, myself and you see how easy it is to do um, mm-hmm. and that's not the point. The point is your intention and mm-hmm. if your intention is to um, treat this person with respect and show that you are an ally and you want to make them comfortable in every situation. That's great. It's just because you, she or he, someone, you know, does does not, it's not the end of the world, yeah. um, and you just try try not to make a huge deal out of it. And if you think it's it's had an effect, then you can just talk to that person after and just say, "Really sorry about it before when I use the wrong pronoun. Um, I'm really trying, and I and you know I hope that you can see that." Um, yeah. And that's that's all it takes. It's not it's not this huge, big. Thing and if you're trying to get into the habit of using someone's pronouns or, um, what my my wife did to start, um, getting used to it, it was she just used my name, mm-hmm. a little bit more. So instead of saying she, she just go you know, Briny did this, Briny did that. You know, instead of uh, they or you know, just to, mm-hmm. just to like ease, it, ease ease it off a little bit and navigate her own language of where she was going to fit in the bay and the thems and the you know all that kind of stuff
0: yeah excellent um that's awesome now i just want to ask i'll, I'll cut this bit out but do you have like um five more minutes so i can still grab that five with you after this like what, what time, you yeah, the next yeah. time yeah 11, yeah 11 Yeah, 11 30 yeah all right i'll chuck two more questions in so yeah. i know we're running out of your time very quickly brani but i want to ask you We've heard this statement said a lot. You can't be what you can't see. Yeah. So if you were to flick back to Briny at age 10, 12, 15, who, if anyone, could you see that you felt like you could reference and uh, relate to and what advice would you give that age, Briny?
1: I mean, there was literally no one. There was no one when I was growing up. When I was those kind of ages was like, you know, the, the early 90s. Into the mid to late 90s, and like being a lesbian was seen as no. There was what there was, fucking Melissa Etheridge, Katie Lang, and Buddy Ellen eventually. And it was just like, no, no thanks. And I got teased a lot because people thought I was gay, you know, long before I did. And, uh, and, Yes, it was just nothing that I wanted to be. There was no one to look after. And, you know, especially then anyone that had any kind of ambiguity about their gender, mm-hmm. like there was just no one. Like Prince, maybe, maybe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but any anybody remotely trans was always a... You know, uh, a laughing stock, or they're they're you know murdered on a TV show. You know, that's like that's it. That's where trans people got, and that you know. So there, real there really wasn't anything um, until I, I think I was sort of like early twenties, um, and the L word um, a TV show came on and it was, you know, about the life of lesbians. Um, and there was a character in there, Shane, who was just, just the coolest cool ever. And she would wear, you know, masculine clothes. And, and I was like, that, that's me. That is me right there. And I remember buying my first men's shirt and it was the most like horrifying experience ever. And then I got back to my friends and they're like, Do you Men's shit and I was like, Oh, god, and like the people in the shop just were mean to me. And I was like, this was like in Sydney, on like, um, you know, like the main sort of Mardi Gras area, and uh, and yeah, they were still like, Is this for your boyfriend? And I was like, <laughs> Absolutely not. Let me tell you that right now. Uh, so yeah, love it. So, um that, that you can't be what you can't see is huge. And I know it's said all the time now, but it is 100% true. Mm-hmm. And if I can be, um, you know, a role model for people, even, even just being able to see someone that looks like me um, and is fine with their gender identity on Instagram, you know, that's great. I've I've done my job. You know, you don't need to be on every fucking pride committee in every business that do it, you know. It's just about um just it's just about visibility sometimes at the end of the day, just being able to um see it.
0: Yeah. So um I got one last question for you. You've been amazing. Yes. Thank you. Thank and you. And for everyone watching and listening, we are gonna do this in studio as soon as we can when we have our roundtable show, which I would love, Bryony, to be a part of, um, what's your biggest fear or biggest fears?
1: Oh, my biggest fear. Um, I think it's probably that I will somehow end up going back to being that really unreliable, um, unmotivated person that I was because I have the capability um to be that person and yes I've grown like that was in my 20s you know like we are all not the same as we were in our 20s um and yeah so I'm just I'm really um conscious of that kind of stuff and sometimes I see it um in the um, you know, in the times where I am really busy and you're you're manically busy, you've got like three gigs in one day, you're packing all your outfits in the morning, you're making sure you're well fed, this, you, I've got to give time to my wife, you pat the dog, you, go, you know, all of that. And you're like, you just like, you're winding yourself up and you're like, whoa, okay, why yeah. am I, why am I going like this at 100 miles an hour is, you know, maybe I shouldn't have booked the third gig now. <laughs> In the, you know, um, And I think we do that because, like, one, we don't know when the, the next gig's coming along, um, but, two, yeah, I think I'm scared to be, I think I've got to keep pushing myself away from mm-hmm. that person who was quite sad, unsuccessful, you know, um, and, and be this person and just keep going and going and going. It's a good motivator. Yeah. Um,
0: well, I appreciate you coming on our show. Um, this is going to turn out awesome. How can people not just check you out, but how can they collaborate, participate and get involved in your journey? Where can we, um, where can we do that?
1: Yeah, I, the best place is just on Instagram. I, I share a lot of my, my life and uh, all the journeys that I'm on at the moment, especially um, uh, my sporting uh, sports broadcasting career and now mine and my wife's IVF journey. Um, So you can go to Ladyhood Music, uh, which is on Instagram.
0: Love it. Bryony Dawson, thank you so much and can't wait to do it all again. Thanks, Brando. Thanks for joining us for another episode of She Knows. If you loved what you heard, then do us a favour and review and subscribe to us on all your favourite platforms. To get in touch, head to gettorched.com and see you on the next episode.